to a certain extent, most hates social media. Yeah, here I am. I'm a very <laughs> frequent user thereof, and I'm, yeah. you know, trying to work on that um, help consult to try to make a better djembe, the, the dash Twitter thing. So yeah. it is pretty funny how it all, you know, it all works out. Sometimes, you know, just like some people say that they hate kids, end up having kids. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks like we're alive. So, hey, everybody, uh, thanks for the patience we're, as we're figuring everything out. I'm going to hit the intro and then we'll go right into it. So, hey, everyone, I have the fantastic pleasure today of speaking with once again, the wonderful Ryan Taylor, CEO of Dash Core Team. How's it going? Going well. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, this is the uh, latest installment of the, the ambitious project to kind of cover what has been one of the more interesting governance votes in Dash's history. And um, basically, for those who haven't... Um, Playing too close attention, over the past few months, there's been some discussion, etc., about changing the uh, Dash Treasury allocation in a small but very meaningful way, which is to basically instead of not create new coins spent, new coins not spent, as happens now, basically create them but give them to miners and masternodes respectively, so they actually see what they're spending out of their own pockets. On their proposal through you know i guess devaluation of the currency by or inflation by increasing the supply now they're actually seeing it and hopefully it realigns some economic incentives and then uh, a group of dash community members uh saw fit to put in a proposal to um, basically add an extra little layer of nuance there saying yeah that's that's all great genius good stuff but we think it's better if masters should pro should who make all the voting decisions should take all the economic cost or benefit of these decisions and not not kind of have this we're on this together sort of a thing. So that's kind of where we're at. There's been, I believe I made a video about it a few weeks ago. There's been back and forth debate. Um, I had the other uh, uh, Ryan and Hillowee on the podcast a few times ago just to kind of, without even talking about the actual proposal, just talk about the general concepts to kind of because in a decentralized ecosystem it is we're there is no centralized way of just getting the word out to everyone like a lot of people when it just hits like the the proposal system they're like oh this is the first i heard about it so i was trying to get as much attention around the issue as we could over a long period of time to just sort of you know make sure that this thing uh, for lack of a better term, um, gets its day in court. So here we are. Uh, the vote is, I believe, what is it, four days away? Five days away? I think it's about five days away. Yeah, so... I haven't, I haven't checked today. <laughs> it's been... the for, for those who watched proposal votes before, um, it's hard to tell. Sometimes you have a giant avalanche of last-minute votes, or at least that was when... That was that had happened a lot in the past. Other times, it's like a week or two out. You are just already know. So basically, we're just trying to get the last few little arguments and questions in, uh, so everyone kind of, you know, over the weekend watches the the podcast and then you know goes and votes 
and then there you go it's over and we don't have to talk about elections anymore because i'm sick of elections but <laughs> this is what we're doing so there's one i got together a series of questions uh first uh splawick hi splawick he says four days and six hours okay well mr finger on the pulse there <laughs> thank you very much um before i jump into these things do you have any um feelings or insights just from this whole this whole process so far anything you want to add before we get going well i i, I think one thing to point out is that what we have on the network right right now are two competing proposals mm -hmm. uh with the agreement that the uh the winning proposal would be the one that would go on to a final vote in mm -hmm. other words this is step one of a two-step process mm -hmm. uh, even after this month we won't have an answer yet on mm -hmm. whether these changes will be voted in mm -hmm. and so um a couple points there one is um you know we we've got a ways to go this is not a closed deal um and and secondly uh you know, educating is still important because there's this second decision coming in December on mm -hmm. whether or not the winning proposal out of these two should be implemented. So, you know, a little bit of nuance there uh, as we're going through this governance process, that's where we are in it. Yeah. And that's one thing that I, I've noticed is um, there's some of the I would say discussion, I won't say even controversy or criticism, but a lot of the discussions happen around something that both proposals share, which is the potential higher limit to the treasury. And so, yeah, we'll get into little specifics about that in just a second. But first, um, let me just start with this one. So basically, you know, the the monthly budget can fluctuate and what people spend can fluctuate on a day-to-day, -day, on a month-to-month -month basis, it can go up or down. Um, and in the past, it's been a lot of the treasury has been at 10% as in every bit that's available has gotten spent. After a while, people started to realize that they could buy every saved bit would make their uh, money more, more worthwhile. So you had fewer of those sort of wasteful, we got to spend it because it's out there sort of vote stuff. Mm -hmm. And both of these are meant to, both of these proposals are meant to, uh, make this connection between what people are spending and the actual effect on their valuations to kind of make it more, more clear. So obviously 10% is a, can be a big treasury and the 20% is not being kind of proposed under the assumption that the it'll be just now 20% every month. It'll be the expectation would be that it's probably less. So what do you expect under the DCG proposal? What do you expect there to, to be like the average spending? Do you think it would average out around 10% where it is now? Do you think it would go the whole 20% people start spending like drunken sailors? Would it go down to like a 5% or, or less on average? Yeah. What, what do you expect? I mean, uh, obviously this is simply my observed opinion because mm -hmm. uh, in a decentralized network we have no way of knowing this i uh mm -hmm. you know i can't exactly uh go out and identify every single masternode owner and take a poll and and predict how they would behave um what i can tell you is we're introducing some new game theory here which mm -hmm. is 
it's, you know, in the past, oftentimes you'd hear people say, hey, there's 200 dash left in the budget. We should put a proposal up for 200 dash. Uh, or, uh, you know, the viewpoint that, hey, we, we need to spend the available budget. Hey, congratulations, we spent 94% of it this month. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's this viewpoint that, that spending it all is good. And as you pointed out, there are negative economic consequences to all of us in the network when we max out that budget. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that um, now, granted, most of it does get spent on a monthly basis. And, you know, DCG alone is, is using up currently approximately 60 percent of the available budget. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the amount that it fluctuates is relatively narrow. But he, here are my hypotheses on, on how this is likely to play out. One, I think that in any introduction of any cost will have an immediate impact on the mentality that this is free money. I think when people begin to appreciate that if they approve a particular budget line item, their own income in the following month would be affected Masternode owners are very likely to behave differently and view that differently. Um, the goal will no longer be to spend all of the available budget. And so I think, you know, even in today's environment, we don't always spend the full amount. There are proposals that would fit that nonetheless do not get approved. Um, and so I think that there will be even less spending on a, a typical month mm. um, than we see today. I think it will have the desired effect of, of really uh, placing some type of criticism um, and some type of viewpoint that this is not free money. I do think that the 20% threshold could become useful under certain circumstances uh, for example, in December of 2019, when we knew there were 50 to 70 masternodes being auto-liquidated on the market, artificially depressing the price of Dash due to assault lending liquidation of a large masternode owner, holder, we, we knew the price was likely to bounce back. And in such a scenario, might the network have made the decision to uh, fund more than 10% in order to retain some of those teams that were operating back then. Uh, we, that, that's a possibility of how it could be used. Mm -hmm. A second is a large one-time event. Let's say Coinbase came to us with a Coinbase earn opportunity, and it would normally exceed the 10% threshold in order to do it. But they made the case to the network that, hey, here are the metrics we typically see on a Coinbase earn campaign. You know, it results in X number of uh, people becoming educated on your coin. It results in X amount of, of uh, X percent of those coming back and buying more at a later point in time, whatever the case may be. Uh, it could allow us to take on a very large cost item in a particular month. Um, so I do think that there's some usefulness to the, the larger proposal threshold uh, or limit. 
but it wouldn't make sense to do unless you change the game theory here. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you're going to see more of that behavior where you know the the spending just uh, continues, and and you know there's a desire to use up that available funding. So I think that this is a good combination of things. A lot of people have asked the question, why did you propose these things together? Why couldn't we vote separately on one but not the other? And the answer is we decided to pursue this route first because um, it's likely that many people would be unwilling to um, approve um, a higher 20% threshold without the game theory changing. And Mm -hmm. there are some people who would not want to change the game theory unless there was some potential uh, increase in flexibility that came along with that. And so that that's the reason they're packaged and we didn't vote on it separately like we did with the reallocation proposal. Yeah, and I could sort of speak on a little bit of the game theory thing that I've, um, I was chatting with the um, a developer at Decred not long ago and they're talking about the proposal system which up until now has been basically um, allocated to the core team that then uh, basically carries out the wishes of the network that votes for it. And the one benefit of having, what you know, as of yet, not a perfectly decentralized treasury is that you kind of get a war chest you get to build up. And so if you don't spend on one month, then you, you know, you can always spend on it later. And so there isn't that the money is going away forever feeling. And so having that 20% upper limit, I, I could... I can kind of see the point of where if you introduce the game theory changes, they might not fully take effect because people will still be like, well, if you don't spend this now, we might not have it. We can't have it later, even though we're feeling the cost of it. But if there is that 20% upper limit, then you you also feel safer in not spending right now. Yeah. So I I think there's both of these changes have real benefits. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the MNO sponsored proposal and, and the one that DCG is, is proposing both share, share those basic, basic elements. And then where they differ is to what extent do you create that, those incentives and, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, how, how are costs of a proposal absorbed by the network? Yeah, exactly. So to kind of recap that, then you'd expect it to be probably typically lower than 10% on a typical month, like maybe an 8% or 7%? Yeah, I mean, you know, at the same price point and all other factors being equal, if you incentivize people not to spend out of the fully uh, full amount available, mm-hmm. uh, I think you'll see less spending. That's basic economics, right? Yeah. You incentivize something, you're going to get more of it. And uh, you're incentivizing... Uh, people to restrict spending yeah so the next thing was um the both both proposals intend to address these incentives with which you know the game theory tweaks we were just talking about um now masternodes are they're the sole decision makers as, as far as these proposals are concerned the miners can always maybe fork off the network or something but they don't actually vote on a case-by-case basis on proposals. So if a, if the masters as a whole feel only 60% of the cost of approved pr- proposals as opposed to 100%, and of course 60% divided by 4,900 4, nodes, 
Do you think that this cost would be felt too little by the average masternode operator to actually change their spending behavior in any meaningful way? Well, I think that, uh, as I said earlier, almost any amount would immediately change the paradigm that their mind is in that this is free money. Mm -hmm. Just changing that component, I believe, will have a significant impact. And I think that would happen at almost any percentage. Mm. Um, because, uh, you know, I, oftentimes I, I think that masternode owners are sitting there staring at their screen and they're like, well, there's room in the budget. And these people seem nice, you mm -hmm. know, like uh, they seem the well-intentioned, the like they're working hard, like, uh, you know, maybe I ought to just, you know, approve their proposal because it makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and makes me feel good about our community. But if that proposal truly isn't adding value, that, that isn't the right decision for all of us. Yeah. Um, and ultimately when there is space in the, when the budget is filled up every month, it probably discourages potential proposal owners from stepping forward to say, hey, I've got a good idea. But when mm. they see a full, full budget every month, they're like, oh, my idea will never get approved. So yeah. I, I think that, um, any amount would be enough to change the mindset. Now, as far as the 60% goes, um, uh, one of the things that I, I, I point out is that, yes, only 60% of the costs are being allocated to the masternodes, but you have to look at the benefit side. Mm -hmm. There are around 4,900 masternodes and there's around 9.8 million coins. Mm -hmm. That means masternodes control approximately 50% of the coins. Yeah. They're getting about 50% of the benefits. And so they're, they're being asked to cover 60% of the cost out of their own pockets. Mm -hmm. And they're being offered 50% of the benefits. Now, already right there, I think we've got more than enough to incentivize the right behavior. As you start to move away from that perfect balance of matching up costs with benefits, um, you, you start to overly penalize behavior that you're trying to optimize, right? If you place 100% of the costs on the masternodes and they only get 50% of the benefits, that means a particular project needs to deliver a hell of a high ROI. Mm hmm before it makes economic sense for a masternode to approve it. And what we don't want to do is go too far in penalizing this behavior of approving a budget proposal. Um, you know, from an economic standpoint, you want those two metrics to be, you know, roughly in sync, that the, the share of the costs and the share of the benefits are going to roughly match up for the decision maker. Yeah. Now, I... I, I uh, I know that there's a lot of focus on the miners and, you know, are you asking the, are you rewarding the miners for money not spent or are you penalizing the miners for money you mm -hmm. did spend and they didn't have a say in that decision? Subject to the constraints that the total supply is fixed and you want to line up this incentive with the master nodes, the change in miner rewards is kind of an outcome of those two constraints. That's not the purpose of these proposals. We're not mm -hmm. trying to reward or penalize miners in any way. 
that's just simply an outcome of math, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, you know, there, there are other ways you could do it. You, you could uh, have the total supply change. You could have, you know, uh, the uh, cost to uh, fully, you know, absorbed by the, the master nodes. But there are, there are downsides to, to every combination that you could come up with. Mm. There's, there's pluses and minuses. What we put together was one that we think makes a lot of sense, relatively simple to implement, uh, relatively simple to explain. There's value in having a proposal system that's pretty easy to explain. Hey, mm -hmm. you know, we, we pay out the approved budgets up to 20%. The remainder is split 60-40. Mm -hmm. That's pretty easy to explain without getting into complicated math. And so we're, we're looking for a combination of things that, that we think made sense, easy to explain uh, to people. Um, there is another thing that we're guarding against here, which is if you have too much variability in the minor reward, mm -hmm. and one of the reasons why, you know, we, um, you know, are pursuing the, the option we are is because uh, you know, just taking the M&O plan where, where 100% of the costs are absorbed by masternodes, the potential reward ranges from 64% down to 44%, depending mm -hmm. on how much gets allocated. Well, that's a much wider possible range than exists with the DCG proposal. What's the effect on that? Well, it means that minor or uh, masternode ROI is significantly less certain and we view that as a risk. It's an unquantifiable risk. None of us sitting here today can say what the effect would be if the maximum 20% were paid out and ROI were to drop significantly like that. Would masternode owners, passive masternode owners stick around? The ones that are strictly here for the rewards or would we see a wave of selling? And the concern is if we did see that and there was a wave of selling, would that result in a lower price, which would cause uh, you know, a larger percentage of the proposal system to get used up, which would cause another wave of selling due to lower ROI. So you know, there's a lot of different game theories at work here that we have to look at and evaluate those risks. And that was one risk we could not get comfortable with. Yeah, so basically, the reiteration of that bit is it's too risk heavy on the MNO side at the cut in order to be less risk heavy on the minor side because with the minor has under the MNO plan the minor uh, percentage is just flat it does not change and it's variable under this one but with the MNO plan it would be double the variability on the on the MNO side. So it's got, yeah, not, it kind of not quite double, but yeah. So the idea would be to diffuse the risk amongst the two different segments of the network rather than have them all happen on the one segment of masternodes. Yeah, when you look at ASIC networks um, and you see dramatic changes in the rewards for miners, mm -hmm. you don't see at nearly as dramatic a change on the hash rate or security on the network. You see this when Bitcoin goes through a halving, uh, you know, hash rate is barely affected by that. Um, you see this uh, in, you know, the monthly price variability they deal with is, is a, a greater 
uh, effect on the miners than than you know the the changes that could result month to month from changes in the number of proposals that are approved. And so they absorb that uncertainty very well. It's more of a long-term horizon for them as to whether or not they're going to buy equipment. And once they buy the equipment, the cost of the electricity is a relatively minor component of that decision. Mm. And so, you know, it, it's very clear that from evidence that we've seen from other networks that when there is a halving event, and we're not talking about a halving event here, we're talking about a plus or minus 20% at most. Yeah. Even if you went from 0% of the proposal being proposal funding being used or 20%, it has a 20% variability on the minor. And so, um, you know, that type of, of fluctuation is very absorbable by, by the mining uh, community. Have you studied what has happened in staking networks with that kind of variability? Because, I mean, that's probably the closest thing to a uh, masternode equivalent. And, I mean, we, we see that miners are relatively stable despite flex mm -hmm. uh, profitability fluctuations, you know, unless you're Litecoin or something, which I noticed the hash rate follows a little bit more closely to the price. Yeah, but that's due to the technology yeah. uh, differences, though. Yeah, so... Um, have you seen that with staking as well, where say the price goes down and then the staking rewards or say too many people start to stake and then the the specific rewards for stakers go down and then people sell off? Do you see that that sensitivity to reward volatility a little bit higher in staking networks? Well, in a, a stable rewards environment, those things tend to play out more over time and it works its way towards an equilibrium over time. Mm -hmm. as opposed to something that you can see a change and immediately see a change in behavior. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you do see this with some of the DeFi tokens where they had an initial reward for, for people that are using uh, those networks, but it only lasts the first six months or 12 months or something like that. And we have seen some of those networks have to reinstate additional rewards in order to get people attracted back to the coin because the price crashed mm. after that initial benefit period ended. And so you, you do see some evidence of this that in staking related networks or in DeFi networks where, you know, there is a reward function that quickly drops off that it has an immediate effect on people's willingness to hold the coin. And so we, we do see evidence that there's risks there. And that's why we weren't willing to move the needle all the way from 0% to 100%. Mm -hmm. We're saying, hey, if this works, is if this is effective, you know, let's let's try to balance it well rather than go to the other extreme and roll the dice. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Now, before we go on to the next one, we did get a little super chat, which just says, send good vibes from Slizzy McSlizzface. <laughs> I love thank, good vibes. Yes, thanks very much. And uh, I hope it is not too much of a doxing to say it, but that's uh, Justin who used to work for us before. Oh, so okay. He's, he's moved on to other things, yet is still actively watching the Dash community, which is always heartening to hear. So now could we sort of covered most of this, but about continuing from the previous one, with a twenty maximum 20% treasury, do you think that the effects of the game theory effects that make people, you know, lack of a better word, more stingy when making their voting decisions. Do you think they there might be a case where they're not weak, they're too weak, 
and then that just ends up being the same drunken sailor spending problem on the 10%, but doubled. And then all of a sudden you have uh, the master node you know, reward going down as a result, and then people selling off because, wow, now it's like, now you have extra loss of funds, extra loss of revenue because everyone's spending all the time. Yeah, well, first of all, uh, the word I chose to use in the proposal was parsimonious mm -hmm. uh, rather than stingy. But uh, yeah, I <laughs> I'm think... I'm saving syllables here. I'm being parsimonious here. <laughs> yes. So um, in any case, uh, it... it I, I do believe that that uh, there's risks on both sides, right? There is a risk that Masternode owners become a little short-sighted, a little parsimonious, and uh, a little tight-fisted, and good proposals go unfunded. Mm -hmm. They're not incentivized to. Uh, they are incentivized very much to take that long view, to focus on what adds value to the, the currency. They hold a thousand dash at, at the very least. And mm -hmm. so, you know, they are incentivized to look out for the things that are gonna add value. Um, and, you know, uh, they might be so short-sighted that next month's income matters more to them than that. But I don't think that's likely. That isn't the way I would be likely to behave. That isn't the way that other people that, that I've heard talk about this are likely to behave. This is just going to focus it more on value and not on, well, who's a nice guy who works hard, right? Mm, of course. And and um, I think the, the other risk going completely the other way is, well, are they going to see this big pot of money and go hog wild and, and you know, have a equivalent of a, you know, a drunken, you know, yeah. party fest uh, with the money. And... I don't think that's likely to occur either. Um, it's certainly possible, but we see evidence that um, masternodes are conscientious to begin with. They don't spend the full 10% available to them today. There are good debates that happen about whether or not something is worthwhile. And if something does appear to be low value or of questionable value or of a question, from a questionable source, someone who's new to the community, hasn't delivered anything yet, they do accumulate a fair bit of no votes. And so I think that, you know, we already have a mindset that it's not automatic that we're just going to spend all of this. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that the danger there that they're going to see a new number and they're going to target that number. I think that was 2018. Mm. I think that was 2017, 2018, when they thought whatever we throw money at is going to add value to the network. And, and that's just simply not true. We've seen that before where we've spent large amounts on, on celebrity endorsements and things that had no lasting effect whatsoever. And so, you know, it, I think, I think we're, we're in a good spot where yes, both risks do exist, but there isn't a lot of evidence to suggest that either one of those is very likely to play out. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Now, we kind of addressed a little bit of this before when we're talking about um, potential extra variability in the master reward, making it a little too risky of an asset, and therefore not as many, et cetera. But if a big component with this, of course, is trying to make sure the proposal not only gets passed in the in the treasury system, but also gets passed by the miners, as in the miners choose to implement the code and it's not... You don't have a fork risk. And I've heard a lot of that in the discussions of the past. But 
let me just hit it with if risk of upsetting miners were a complete non-issue, like they just loved whatever it is, including you could just cut them out completely and just you would have no issue from them, which we're talking fantasy land for a second, but that's fine. Uh, would this preferred plan still be to share the costs or, or savings of the treasury between miners and masternodes instead of having a masternode only situation? Well, uh, from DCG's perspective, what we're trying to do is match the cost to the incentive mm -hmm. share and, you know, more closely match those two in a way that's simple. Um, and therefore it wouldn't change that dynamic. Mm -hmm. Now, if we could achieve adequate security with a large margin to spare and could get the miners to agree to, you know, uh, cutting back significantly. We, we won't say zero, but let's put a scenario out there where they're on board with a 10%, going down to 10%. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've determined that that is safe. We've determined that that is adequate security um, and all of that. Um, you know, could we go further with the reallocation proposal that was approved? Could we go... Uh, Further with that, probably, would we want to, um, you know, change the basic principle that uh, masternode rewards and costs associated with uh, approving a proposal should, uh, you know, become separate from each other? I, I think the answer is, is no. I think we'd follow a very similar approach. Uh, to the one that we're following. And so it this this isn't pandering to the miners. Mm -hmm. I think that the miners have very much done their part as part of these changes for related to store value as a whole. And um, you know that there we have to recognize there is a sacrifice that's that's occurred there. Um, ultimately they've proven that they believe that this is in the best interest of the coin long term and therefore in their their own best interest. And I have had to do a, a lot of education on how all of these things are likely to play out. Luckily, the miners have a very deep understanding of their own economics and the economics of the network. And um, they tend to be, you know, the pools and so forth tend to be staffed with very professional folks that can analyze this. And, and that's why we ended up where we did with the level of support that we did for this transition to version 16 that's active on the network at this point yeah well this i guess serves as like a closing a call for closing argument thing but it is a slightly nuanced question beyond that so both proposals seem to do essentially the same main thing which is expand the upper limit of the treasury to 20 percent and more much more importantly fix the game theory by having masternodes decision makers actually feel the cost of the proposals they they spent now the difference is do they feel do they gain and lose all of it or is it 60 percent? that's like the what the entire disagreement is so how big of a deal is it that one of these w wins out over the other like so for example say you wake up tomorrow and then some giant whale comes in and just like i like the other plan and just boom and then it wins and then the dcg plan doesn't win is how how serious of a like how how worried would you be in that situation would you be mostly like 
you know, oh, I, I rather had, I think this other way was better, but this should work too. Or would you be like, oh, oh, I, I fear for the future? Um, I think that when I look at the two risks, mm-hmm. you know, uh, one, one being the risks around the proposal size, right? Will we go hog wild? Will we become too stingy? Um, on the DCG plan, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable that neither one of those is going to happen. If the MNO uh, sponsored plan were to be approved, I would worry personally, but everybody has their own opinion because none of us can know this, right? Like none of us can know ahead of time how behavior will change. But I do fear that we would become too cheap uh, if, if that were the case. Um, at that point, it's just as efficient to organize all 4,900 masternodes outside the network as it is inside the network and just collect donations. Yeah. Right? Um, and so, and we've already seen that model doesn't work very well with other networks. And But from an economic standpoint, it would be equivalent of asking all 4,900 to donate the, you know, the full cost of that proposal that other people will also benefit from in, in order to fund it. And the whole point of this proposal system is that we're going to share in it uh, and mm-hmm. share in the costs with the dilution that occurs and, and all of that. So asking 100% of that to come from a subset of our network, I think carries risks that that might become too. And and I recognize this is my opinion. This is not, I can't prove this factually. And we won't know until it goes live on the network. But I think that's uh, part of my point is that we can't know. And, you know, I I, I do think that that uh, there's a real risk there. The second On the second set of risks, which is, um, uh, around the masternode rewards fluctuating too much versus the minor rewards fluctuating too much. Um, I do think that minor rewards fluctuating carries less risk for the network than masternode rewards fluctuating significantly. If masternode rewards drop for an extended period of time for whatever reason, because the proposal system gets fully utilized or whatever, um, you would see a greater impact from that. Uh, I the, the reason why I, I so vehemently believe in DCG's proposal is because I, I do see significant risks with the other one. And that, you know, I've been arguing uh, for that since, since these things launched on the network. And um, it would worry me quite a bit. Okay. That seems to be pretty pretty definitive um which is i guess the reason why we don't why we have these kinds of governance decisions and seeing the recent um bitcoin cash split yet again and all the um i guess all the disagreement all the people who are stalwarts of the community now being persona non grata because of this big thing i do take a lot of um i guess solace in the fact that with dash you can actually vote and it ends a thing, and there could always be um, hard feelings, but it's not like excommunicated. We're all moving forward together. That's the important yeah. thing. I, I want to take a moment to thank Ryan mm-hmm. Gull for caring enough mm-hmm. about 
you know, his beliefs on how these risks are likely to play out and making his case to the network to give the network another option. Mm-hmm. I, I mean that sincerely, that I, I'm not infallible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, DCG is not infallible. And, you know, if we're making a mistake here and, and the vast majority of the network disagrees with the approach that we're taking, we would want to know that. And, um, you know, the network has every right to uh, make a mistake in its own right. And, and, you know, chances are if something like that happened, we would have the ability to recover from it anyway. You know, Mm -hmm. any technical change we make, we can reverse it through another release that the network could adopt. And so part of this process is weighing risk, taking risk, presenting different options. And uh, similar to what happened with the, the, logo we ended up with a better logo as a result of it and you know i I think that recognizing that there are people in the community that are willing to take a leadership position and willing to try to make a a case for something it it only adds to the strength of what we do and ultimately as you point out once we make a decision we're all moving forward as a community we're not splitting into two Mm -hmm. and you know the power of the uh, proposal system in bringing us together behind something we don't even think is necessarily the best solution, but it's the one we picked. Mm-hmm. And and I really, I love when we go through, these events are rare, but when we go through one, it really shows the power of that, especially at a time where you're watching a fork of Bitcoin that's a fork of Bitcoin fork again. Yeah. And, you know, they've gone through three of these forks at this point. Mm-hmm. Every time you have a technical disagreement, you can't split your community in half. Yeah. You're never going to grow into a significant portion of the, the, the market if you're doing that. And so this is a, a really powerful tool. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, thanks so much for sharing your time. Uh, yeah. We're going to go hear from the other guys in just a moment here. So I'm going to hit the a quick little intermission screen get things set up and then we'll switch to them good Everyone... luck with the good luck with the transition I, yes this is a I great hope time you don't hit any snags a new challenge for you yes thanks this is a great opportunity to run off to the bathroom real quick and then we'll be back in you know before you know it so yeah thanks again ryan and i'll see you guys in just like a couple minutes all right take care Once again, not um, probably not be on camera for this on on your side of things. Um, this is the first time I've ever had to use the studio mode feature. Um, let me. We're getting feedback. Somebody's still got their YouTube link on. I'm guessing. That could be it. 
Oh, that means everybody can hear us. Yeah. Well, it's not um we're in the intermission screen right now, so let me Oops. Did I mess things up? Um How's it going, Halawi? Can hey. you hear Hey. <laughs> haven't talked to you guys in forever. <laughs> so is my audio coming in pretty, yes. pretty good? Yes. Okay? You guys have good audio. Okay, good. Um, just have to deal with all these weird little logistics of... Just so you know, Joel, yes. they can hear us on there. So. Oh, okay. Well, nice. No obscene jokes. Oh, no. <laughs> so, I got to hold back. Oh, so for the guys who can still hear me, can you also just see the um, see the intermission screen? Yeah, that's what they see. Okay, good. That's the thing I really want to know about because we aren't going to talk any kind of crazy smack. But what we will do is have ugly windows showing around. I got to pretend like there's still some magic in this process. This will be fun just to also for like the audio only listeners. Hi guys. This is going to be a fun little, um, fun little thing. All right. Let me see if I can. Do... This is how the sausage is made folks. <laughs> Don't get into live shows. It'll come back to bite you. <laughs> and all right. I think we're just about good to go. That looks fixed. That looks fixed. I kind of wish the studio mode would mute it as well, but I guess that's a setting thing. Anyway, let's get this thing going. Now that you actually have your names associated, your nameplates and stuff. And hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, I'm joined by Ryan and Hilawi. You guys are looking nice today. How's, how's it going? Going well. Yeah, like what you've done with your hair, both of you. <laughs> yeah, so. Yes, so as Justin just pointed out down below in the live chat, um, I'm not going to shame him for not saying the live crypto super chat because he already did. But he says crazy smack talk is in the after party. Yes, that's exactly correct. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's his name? Um, Spencer says he looks 10 years younger. Okay, enough with that with that kind of stuff. As nice as that is, uh, let's get down to the business. So first off, before we go into the specific questions and things, um, any thoughts, any general thoughts on the proposal and how things are going, how the, how the discussion has evolved over the last month or so. Take it away, Halawi. <laughs> nah. um, so I guess the general message we've been trying to send um, is, you know, getting the MNO voices out. Um, mm -hmm. Just like uh, Ryan Taylor was just saying that um, it's good to see involvement from MNOs. And um, yeah, so for major decisions like this, um, I guess I'll keep it short. Just uh, I'm happy to see uh, that there were two proposals um, mm -hmm. that were making um, their 
their points to the network. Yeah, that is something that I think is pretty, um, I guess, analogous to other things in life is, first off, that you care enough to disagree, right? If there's never any disagreements, then no one cares. It's a dead project, let's be honest. Like if just, you know, whatever, the devs implement a thing. But it's like people actually take the time to think, wait, how is this going to work? And then that they're actually participating in it makes it a decentralized project as opposed to whatever our Lord and Savior has, you know, handed down from from on high. And also the second part is um, you can have a, a instance of not necessarily caring too much, but of not knowing how to resolve those the result of the caring, which is what we see as sorry to pick on Bitcoin Cash again, but you know, just a bunch of people. I just I've seen a bunch of people on Twitter lately yelling about you know those people supported the wrong side, the losing side, and why would we trust them ever again? And because they just sorted the fire and brimstone, burned things down, and now there's two separate communities. And it's like, why can't you just all be together on this same issue? But whatever, enough of a slight off-topic rant. Well, I'd, I'd like yeah. to just say something real quick before I forget to. Yeah. Um, because, uh, you know, Ryan thanked me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to thank Ryan as well um, because I really did appreciate him spending. We, we spent a lot of time together on the phone uh, talking about these ideas. So, yeah, I, I thank him for making us part of that conversation mm-hmm. and you know i've heard a lot of people say we haven't had enough pre-proposal discussion about this uh, but I, I agree with ryan in this case that there was a lot of pre-proposal discussion mm-hmm. uh, the only the only problem was a lot of the pre-proposal discussion was around general ideas and not specific proposals uh, where typically we would see the pre-proposal being, this is exactly what we plan to propose on the network. Uh, what do we think? Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like the decision was already made almost before people could give a lot of input. And so I and Halawi were able to kind of finagle our way in through personal discussions with Ryan to at least have this one other option. It's not... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not everything that we wanted. It's not everything that everybody else wants, but it's at least one other option uh, for people to vote on. And I think uh, we designed it to basically be uh, to have it so that it's the critical piece. The only critical piece uh, is what differentiates the two. So we kept the same proposal limit cap recommendation, but 20%. Mm-hmm. Um uh, for example, where a lot of people wanted to not increase the cap uh, or to increase it to basically not infinity, but whatever would be left over after proposal funding and uh, some fixed amount of mining rewards. So not, essentially no cap. So there, there were a lot of people in that camp as well. But we just decided to, to go with um, basically a compromise position of the alternate uh, positions and say, let's keep the same cap, uh, but let's just have one difference. And that difference is, do we want to keep mining allocation fixed, like it's always been? Or do we want to uh, have it be variable? And uh, Ryan kind of explained that his goal, his intention wasn't to make mining allocation 
variable, but that was just the outcome of different constraints. Um, and I understand that, um, but um, I think as we'll get into some of your questions, I don't think that that was necessarily, the plan that we put together avoids uh, that, that situation. So, and, and the risks are very minimal, if not even less, less than DCGs. I, I would argue that uh, this is much less risky than uh, the plan that DCGs put together. Yeah, well, let's just dive into some of these uh, real quick. Um, so obviously, the um, the first one is about the, I guess, expected average treasury spending per month. And we already did basically the exact same, um, the exact same wording almost with Ryan. But basically, um, you have to have some, in order for the 20% limit, which as I already mentioned, has gotten a lot more controversy and discussion than the actual difference between the two proposals. People have just fixated on that one thing. And some people have said, I'm downvoting both of these because I don't I don't think that that's a prudent idea. And so I don't think anyone proposing any of the two parties who are both proposing the same thing in this regard, which is you know the 20% upper limit, expect it to be 20% on a t on an average basis. So then if it's not going to be 20%, then what is it going to be on a typical month? Okay. So yeah, this is this is the question. <laughs> the question, yeah. And like Ryan said, nobody knows. Mm -hmm. uh, but we can kind of make some educated guesses based on what we've seen and based on just logic. So what we know now is that we bump up against 10% pretty regularly. And the question is why? Is it because we really do think over the past four year history or whatever, how long, three, three year maybe history that we've had a proposal system, has it always been the case that uh, within one or 2%, 10% has been the right number? Or would it have been the case if there weren't a 10% limit, would we have spent more? Mm -hmm. And that question's relevant now because we will be lifting that, or at least uh, in both of these proposals, we're, we're proposing lifting that. Again, it's next month where we decide and uh, make a decision between the status quo 10% and the 20% plan that passes this month. Yeah. But that, that, in other case, next month we're going to see a proposal that lifts the cap from 10% to 20%, uh, voting against the, the status quo. So with that proposal cap lifted, will MNOs have, uh, will, will we want to spend more than the 10% and uh, on a regular basis or, uh, yeah, how regularly will we want to do that? And that's the lifting the cap is one force that's pulling it to mean that we'll probably be spending more uh, or at least be able to spend more. And then like Ryan has suggested and said, uh, there's another force that's pulling it that might pull it down to even less than 10%. Mm. And that is that it's coming out of MNO's pockets, at least partially for DCG's plan and quote unquote fully in our plan. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not quite that way. Uh, and I don't know if you want to get into this quite yet, but uh, the way that Ryan characterizes this change is zero to a hundred. And that that's a dramatic change from zero to a hundred. Uh, you know, of mm -hmm. course, if you characterize it like that, then it does seem pretty dramatic. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but the, what, the, what I've tried to point out is that it's not actually going from zero to 20, zero to 100 in any real sense of, the, of, of that phrase, because what Ryan is looking at is the allocation of a group of people. But what in reality, what happens is that people don't act as groups. People act as individuals. And so what is, where are we going? Where are we coming from and where are we going from an individual MNO's perspective? Whether that MNO owns one vote or a hundred votes, we're coming from 0% basically. When we, when we fund proposals as MNO's right now, we are funding 0% of that from our own pockets. Mm-hmm. Okay. In, in the, in the literal sense, nothing is coming from MNO from, from the MNO's pocket right now. So that's where we're coming from. Where are we going? We're going to 0.02% uh, for a single node operator. And the way that that is, is you personally bear one five thousandth of the cost of a proposal. So that's 0.02%. So zero, so it's not zero to 100. It's zero to 0.02. That's a very small change. And part of that is what I would call subsidy. And part of that is what I would call socializing the cost. The, the part that's subsidizing the cost is the, is the part that miners would be paying because they don't have a decision here. They don't have a choice in the matter. Mm-hmm. And they actually don't even really benefit that much. So they're not a, this isn't a contingent of people that benefit from price increases or are penalized or punished for price decreases because mining is specifically designed to be marginally uh marginally profitable regardless of the price the difficulty adjustment accounts for that so from again from an individual's perspective an individual miner doesn't really benefit from an increase in price unless it's uh, a very dramatic quick increase in price Um, but even then the difficulty mining difficulty is going to increase in that case and catch up and make his uh, hardware less efficient in terms of gaining coins and spending kilowatt hours. So I think that that argument uh, from Ryan's perspective is not valid. Yeah, so let's get to, um, you know, the the, the tinfoil hat question, which is uh, this plan is it over compared to the DCG plan, right? It favors miners if it goes, if over 10% of the treasury is spent because they still have the flat fixed rate. So if you have a big budget one month, then the mi- the masters only are taking that. So the, the miners would be better off under this one. However, the opposite is also true, that if the spending is below 10%, then they would be getting more under the DCG plan. Now, uh, some people might say, okay, well, we heard Brian's talk about the game theory and that he expects it to be below to to expects that ma- uh, masters will be more stingy, or I, f- I forget the word he used, but more stingy. <laughs> yes, yeah, they'd be more careful than before. And so, what if the this is an MNO conspiracy to get more money? Because you know you'd be getting more money under this plan under a ten percent average monthly spending. And so it's like, well, Ryan seems to believe, and we agree with them that it's going to be under ten percent. Then we're just going to try to maximize our profits and short miners by selling them the idea of, you know, 
of no variability of a fixed income. So now you got the the conspiracy rant out of there. What do you think about that? I don't think this is a question of MNOs uh, wanting more profit, although mm-hmm. that wouldn't be a bad thing necessarily. <laughs> profit <laughs> is what drives uh, capitalism. Of course. So, but it's a, it's a question of incentives. And the purpose is not to please miners here. Sorry, miners. <laughs> you secure the value. You mm-hmm. don't create the value. So yes, we need you right now in the current design to, to protect the value of this network. But if you can protect that value at 32%, just as much as you can protect that value at 50% or, mm-hmm. or 40% or whatever that number is, that's great. You know, the lower the number, the better in terms of the network. Um, and even in terms of an individual miner, because again, they're just, they're just marginally profitable, no matter what, generally speaking. So it's just a question of how much mining we want, not necessarily how much mine, uh, a given miner should, how much money we should send miners. Mm. Uh, so yeah, the, uh, the question is more about what's the appropriate incentive rather than uh, how much do we need to please miners? Uh, so yeah, I'm, I, I'm not sure if that's <laughs> clear. Yeah, I mean, the, the MNOs are highly incentivized to make good decisions for the entire network, for all the stakeholders, um, mm-hmm. the, good, the better decisions that will be made with both plans, but we, we strongly believe the MNO plan will do that more. Um, that will basically carry throughout the network. Um, and we're already in the socialized treasury. So we're just trying to maximize a more direct effect of people's mm-hmm. voting as much as possible within that context of a, um, a shared treasury. Right. So, so before I forget, um, there are a lot of people who don't want to raise the, the cap from 10% to 20%. Well, if that's your position, we've got a plan for you (laughs) because this plan effectively lowers the cap. Uh, It doesn't actually lower the cap, but 20% under our plan is going to be a lot harder to spend than 20%. Well, not a lot harder. It's going to be harder though, harder Mm -hmm. to spend than, than 10 per, than 20% under the DCG plan. So if your goal is to just not have as much proposal spending, then, you know, this, this will help with that. And, Mm -hmm. I understand you might want to vote against both the proposals right now, uh, but now's not the time for that. Right now, you want to choose the lesser of two evils if you think they're both evil. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is an interesting point of, and this is something that I've personally gotten more understanding over the years of whenever you make hard limits and rules, that tends to be less effective than changing the incentive structure so that the behavior that you want automatically sort of happens and so the the 20 the 10 percent cap i think under the old system was just you needed to have that cap because otherwise you'd have all kinds of crazy things going on because the costs were socialized yes (laughs) nobody was paying for anything everybody was spending everybody else's money and so there was no restraint there was no personal responsibility yeah we want to change that and that's another thing i noticed with um and i mentioned in the earlier segment about the way Decred's treasury has worked has been kind of like a war chest model where all the money goes 
to one spot, but you don't have to spend it every month. Like it's not gone or unallocated to the treasury if you don't spend it. And I believe Smart Cash had a similar thing as well. And I do remember like in Smart Cash's case, I believe they had something crazy like a 70% treasury or something like that. But in addition to that, the ability to accrue a war chest made them able to spend out of their league sometimes. And so instead you have, you know, with the 10% dash, kind of relegated to a certain punching power, but also incentivized to make bad decisions or maybe, you know, not the best decisions in the short term, month after month, as in you can't do a big spend, but you also don't want to not spend either. So it's just kind mm-hmm. of in this weird little middle zone. And that's what happens when you have like, I guess, misaligned incentives and arbitrary regulations and barriers and stuff. And so the idea, the idea yeah. of twenty percent, uh, like why I stop at twenty? Why not make it fifty or whatever else? And well, the problem with that well, might be, that. yeah, the problem with that one is it might be, um, you might be able to be, be comfortable with a twenty percent, but just we're, that's where we talk about risk, right? It's, if you have, uh, if you have a higher limit, but the incentives are right, you'll never reach that limit. So mm-hmm. if the, if the incentives to spend are made proper you it doesn't matter what the limit is you can take the limit off because you know that's like saying that if you give somebody a million dollars will they just blow it all no because it's their money they can they have different things they can spend it on so right now if we have an essentially unlimited uh spending cap it's not like we're just going to spend it all because we can choose to save that instead. So if you get that incentive right, which is what the MNL plan is trying to do, getting the incentive right, where you're spending mostly, you know, spending more of your own money, again, it's it's still heavily socialized or subsidized, depending on how you look at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's spending a little bit more of your money. So it's going to be, you're going to be a little bit more responsible with that. Yeah. Uh, so if you get that right, it doesn't really matter what the cap is. Mm-hmm. Now, Ryan's uh, first risk that he mentioned was that, you know, maybe it, maybe the MNOs are going to be actually too uh, parsimonious, too stingy with with the money now that that's coming from their own pockets. But again, it's 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 a very small portion that's coming out of your own pocket as an individual. But even if they're even if it it turned out that we weren't, you know, it, it's crazy now, and and now we're not spending money on anything except for DCG. If we found that out. The solution isn't to introduce some kind of weird mining variability. The solution is to change the proposal passing criteria, which was the third prong of even Ryan's uh, proposal from a little while ago. And we haven't got there yet. So if we find, even under our plan, that MNOs are too stingy, we can fix that the right way, which is to change the proposal passing criteria rather than introducing variable mining that has no economic sense. Yeah, the, the, the new proposed minor economic system for the DCG plan. Uh, I mean, I would I would say one of the biggest purpose of it is to thwart um, MNO frugality, um, but we don't see that as problematic. We don't, we, we yeah, think that's it's a feature. economical. <laughs> that's a feature, not a bug. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a great thing, um, especially when prices go up. We yeah. really want those decisions, um, you know, along with there's discouragement of spending over 10%. Yeah, that's along that's... with um, it's just a direct effect. So, 
I don't yeah. know. It, it's, it's just another risk that was never there before. That is a good point about the, um, the we don't actually know how this is going to play out until it does. We have our various theories about how it will. But the gamble is that introducing like a 60% paying for treasury proposals to the master nodes will introduce the right amount of frugality, but will still allow stuff to be paid for. Whereas, you know, that's that point of view. But, you know, the other point of view is it might not introduce enough. It might just, you know, make yeah. people a little more gun shy on proposals, but not enough to, there will still be a lot of waste if they don't feel, that's what I think feel it that's entirely. The that's the case. Yeah. And I think even both of our plans, both of our plans, we're still going to have a system that is highly socialized. Uh, and I don't mean that necessarily in, you know, some kind of immoral, you know, socialism sense. I just mean that the costs are spread between a lot of different people. It's still going to be relatively easy to spend money. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's, that spent money might not be chasing valuable things. Now, if you increase the amount that you have to personally spend, you're going to be a little bit more frugal. You're going to, be, you're going to chase only the most valuable projects. That's exactly what we want. Um, and so uh, just to, while I'm thinking about it, Ryan's other uh, – his other risk that he was that he's worried about with our plan is that it will introduce too much uh, variable variability in the masternode allocation. Mm -hmm. And that I think that's a valid point. Um, but the, the fact is that the mining very the uh, the masternode variability in their allocation is 100% under the control of masternode owners. So mm -hmm. There's no problem, right? Yeah. There's no problem there because it's it's fully, it, you know, it's fully controllable by the group that is actually doing it. That Where is an interesting. That's not the case with the miners. With miners have no say in the variability. Mm -hmm. They have no ability to change that variability. Yeah. It's in a completely different set of decision makers' hands what happens there. But with the masternode variability, it's 100% in our control. Yeah, that's another interesting wrinkle to the whole thing is. Uh, in the same way as the 20% just increase an upper limit, but is balanced out by the, the anticipation that the spending will be actually a lot lower than that because of incentives. It's kind of the same thing where if the masters have to shield a bigger percentage of the treasury, the potential for variability is definitely higher, which is what Ryan was pointing out, though the actual variability might actually even be lower since it kind of makes the... Um, it makes it sharpens the actual effect of those decisions and sharpens the incentive to spend less. So even though it adds the potential for a wider range of behaviors, it might tend to condense actual expected behaviors in a smaller range. So that that's another one of those things where, uh, you know, this stuff, this whole stuff fast fascinates me to no end because I kind of can't wait to see how those things, these kinds of things play out. Yeah, it would be it's fun. It's going to be interesting, regardless of which plan passes. It'll be interesting to see, you know, are we going to be less than 10% or are we going to be more than 10%? It'll be fun to see, regardless. And uh, mm -hmm. oh, one, one last thing. Yeah, yeah. To that. So, another huge advantage of a fixed minor allocation right now, so 36%. Mm -hmm. And some people are like, hey, how come you didn't go lower, you know, to 32%? So, mm -hmm. with our plan, you can actually institute or like have a proposal to mm -hmm. change that yeah um, a subsequent or even 
coincident proposal at the same time, you know, like next month, we could even exactly. put, in, put in a proposal, okay, do you want it to be 32 instead of 36? Yeah. So that's a very, very simple change. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas it's a little bit more complex to change it uh, with the, the MNO, uh, the, the DCG plan. Exactly. Yeah. Very simple to just change from 36 to 35 to 34, 32, whatever that number is. You don't expect that number to be changing very frequently. So you can do occasional proposals down the road that just lower it a little bit more. If we, Mm. you know, if we find that we have better technology that can serve our uh, security needs uh, and that will be more economically efficient. So I guess um, if you're going to be closing up pretty soon, I just want to get this other thought through. Yeah. What I'm most frustrated about with this whole process is that both of these proposals didn't come from DCG. Mm. That would have been the ideal in my in my mind, and that's why I was working directly with Ryan and Halawi and I were working directly with Ryan. We tried to get DCG to just propose these two, just like they did with the uh, the rebranding proposals of the past, where. DCG was the proposal owner on both of them. They dispassionately put forth two options for upgrading, and they let the uh, the uh, master node owners decide which one is best. But you know, we're kind of in this awkward situation now where we have the trust protectors uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> submitting both of these proposals to be a, a, an independent third party. Yeah, uh, and master node owners who are loyal to DCG because we need DCG are put in this awkward position now where they might want to vote for the one that makes more sense to them, which would clearly be the MNO plan. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but they might want to vote for the MNO plan, but they feel conflicted because that, that means voting against the DCG plan. And I don't vote against the DCG plan. I love DCG. So that's an awkward position that we didn't need to be in if DCG had just put forth both proposals. Uh, and I don't know. Well, I do know why mm-hmm. they didn't. At, at least I think I know why that didn't happen. Yeah. But. Well, that's the thing is that was kind of the purpose of the last um, question with um, on the last segment was why does this why does it matter that you're coming on here making your case? Like, do you really care which how important is it that the one that you want wins? And he seemed to feel very strongly that things would turn out much better under one than under the other. And so I guess that would be the reason to say I'm not lending my name or whatever behind an idea that I think would be harmful. But before we get to the same question on that side, just just power through the the last couple um, Mm -hmm. on the minor risk thing, where the idea is always, um, what if the miners decide that this is too much, that they, they, they see this as, First off, you know, it's a second change to the network in a relatively short period of time. It's been 45, 45, 10, forever, pretty much, not forever, but for, you know, five years, pretty much, right? Something like that, more, maybe more. And then all of a sudden it's, well, no, it's 60, 40, you guys are getting a little less. And then, then there's this plan where if they vote under 10% of the treasury, which is kind of the entire point of the proposal, then they could get more money than you. And basically, let's say let's just say some big miners are like, oh, we feel like the masters are trying to take all our money. We're gonna stonewall this thing, maybe completely fork off, but like probably not. Let's just say stonewall. Do you think that that's a risk, a meaningful risk, uh, that miners would basically throw fit over this proposal? Well, just to throw something in, mm-hmm. I mean, the reason why miners even agreed to 
the 45, 45, 10, the existing system um, was because it was, it was told to them that this would improve, um, this would actually allow developers to be paid. This would help the overall economics of the network. Um, so basically the network will grow together if you go from 100% to 45%. Nobody wants to go from 100%, 45% without reason. Mm-hmm. And so you do it because better decisions are going to be made. Uh, people are going to get paid at that time. That was the reason as well. And also projects that would um, enhance the network. So um, basically, I I don't see um, why a similar type of mentality wouldn't go into this. Yeah, that and uh, there's a very real chance that miners will be better off with our plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like you said, if the if the MNOs decide to spend uh, more than ten percent in the proposals, then MNOs are better off with the fixed thirty six percent than they would dipping down to as low as thirty two percent with the DCG plan. So that's I think the more likely case. We don't know, but yeah, the miners could be better off um, under our plan. But again, to reiterate. Uh, First, what, what Halawi just said, that this will be a better system for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if it weren't, you know, miners are just securing the value. And if we can get that, if we can get that from them, I don't think that there's a big risk that uh, I think that, you know, we can, Ryan's very good at persuading miners to adopt cha- changes, obviously. He's done it in the past. He's been successful yeah. at that. He can do it in the future. The more, I guess, the larger change right which is you're getting instead of 50 50 you're going down to 60 40 is already been sold it's already done so i guess that that kind of addresses that risk now before the last question i mean i'm kind of flipping around the order of here but the technical implementation one that one can assume that if dash core group is going to say hey let's do this and they're the guys who make the code for lack of a better term that they that as soon as they have something that's ready to go, and I noticed this with the Bitcoin Cash BTC split, where a lot of people, you know, a, people were into the small into the small block thing by and large. Like the the signaling for a small block impl- a large block, sorry, implementation was higher, and then when the Segwit two X consensus thing happened, or you know, consensus signaling went past the ninety percent. But there didn't they didn't have a technical implementation or a dev team that had something ready to go. So the you know the miners you know ultimately went with just the small blockchain, and that was a constant threat in Bitcoin Cash's early years. Was, oh look at Bitcoin ABC they can't they have all this fatal error that someone disco- that discovered or oh you know again whether or not there's merit to that I'm not talking about that at all. But the whole thing was it's not just do we like bigger blocks or not. It's do we trust this dev team to be competent. So some people might say, you know what? I like the idea of this, you know, thusly build MNO plan. I just don't trust rogue code to be out there to implement that idea. I want only trust DCG right now to implement new dash code that y'all, you know, basically stake my money on. So uh, is there any kind of a technical implementation that can be ready to go assuming this proposal passes? Well, fortunately, uh, you know, and to Ryan's credit, DCG will be implementing either one of them. 
So mm -hmm. it's not a question of whether we're going to cobble together some kind of implementation. Uh, Halawi, I don't know if you're up for that, but I'm not up for that. Uh, mm -hmm. So DCG will be implementing either one. I have full faith that they can do either one. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a coder myself, and I know enough to know that these are both relatively trivial changes. You know, it's updating an array of, uh, of values and could go, you know, the array could be filled with one set of numbers or the array could be filled with another set of numbers. That's as trivial as it could be. You know, I haven't looked into the details, so I can't uh, comment on whether that's actually the only thing that is the case. But either way, these are going to be relatively trivial changes. And I'm even if they weren't relatively trivial changes, I have full faith that DCG could code either one of them up. Yeah. So then, then the last one um, is just the why kind of a thing. And so, as Ryan previously said, um, in you know, base a much more diplomatic way, basically just said, I tr I am comfortable with the risk of the proposal I have proposed. I am not comfortable with the other one, and I don't know exactly what would happen. It could, you know, could possibly be disastrous. Could not be, but I'm I'm only comfortable with the risk of this one, which is why I'm putting you know the or you know reading a little bit about the question of the naming, which is why I'm comfortable putting my organization's name on this one, not the other one, and why I'm actually advocating for one strongly and not just being like, well, which logo do you guys like? So, asking on the other side. Um, and this just took a little more, you know, elbow grease from for the MNO proposal because DCG was already going to have the proposal out. They're already doing their things. They um, propose most of the major changes to the network. They get proposed and either approved or dis or disapproved by the network. But to come in and say no, 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 we want our own separate proposal. We want we think believe so strongly in this. We're going to get the trust protectors involved. We're going to get everything. We're going to basically. You guys must think, um, must strongly believe that this one, it's not just, oh, I like this one better, but eh, they're both okay. Why do you think that this is worth all the effort to try to do when the other one does almost all the same things except for a few differences? You want to take that first, Halawi? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, this just fits with the idea that MNOs are the final decision makers for the entire network. Yes, there are other stakeholders. We're not the only ones, but we are tasked with being the final decision makers. And this fits with that model where, you know, basically um, the us making the decisions should be in a more responsible manner where um, low value proposals are much, much more likely to not be voted in. So. Um, I, we just think everything aligns economically. Um, the change in MNO rewards will be the next month, or it will be spread out through the next month, I should say. So it's just it's just everything you'd want to see in an economic system for um, good decision making um, for all the yeah. stakeholders. Yeah, this is this is an economic question. This isn't uh, necessarily a, a technical question, although there is a technical 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 implementation involved. It's most mostly an economic question, hmm. and the group of people that are most affected by the economics are the uh, the master node owners. Obviously, they have the most at stake. So, I just yeah, I, I see that 
this is a very important thing. Uh, to, there's, there's certain things that we want to keep the same, and there are certain things that we want to change. The fixed mining allocation has worked well for us in the past. There's no reason to change that. Um, and there is reason to change which, uh, how, the, how the proposals are funded. Um, it makes more economic sense for master nodes to be spending part of their money on proposals. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sorry, I've got my son just making, doing weird things, <laughs> distracting me. Um, That's what they're for after all. <laughs> Maybe you can be on that yeah, so be I, famous so once, famous someday. It. Like was that fellow on the news who's, he's on some very serious, like policy call and this kid comes in and the wife's all collecting the kid, <laughs> you know, bar for the yeah. course. But, um, so, so I'll just say in parting that, you know, it looks pretty bad for the MNO plan right now. It, it's in negative territory, and I get it. It's it's embarrassing to vote for a proposal that's in negative territory. It looks like you're voting for, well, I won't say any names, but I would just say that based on some information for, that you can get from MNO Watch, it's very clear that the MNO proposal is very popular. In fact, about twice as more than twice as many people are voting for the MNO plan, not votes, but people. And this shouldn't be as a shock to anybody that's yeah. really in, 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 uh, well, let me, in let me, uh, add some background out, info but. to that, uh, for, for people who are may, maybe casually on the outskirts of dash and haven't been super in. So it, if you have a thousand dash, you can spin up a master node and then you have a vote. If you have 80,000 dash, which I don't know if there is someone who has that right now, I haven't checked lately, then you have, you know, 80 master nodes you can vote with, but you're still an individual person. And these are all votes are public, as in you can see what vote, what node voted for what proposal, but you don't know who's behind or how many people are behind those, those nodes. Not necessarily, just like you can now do analysis of the blockchain to see which transactions belong to whom, uh, so far, I, I don't know if there's been any actual success in identifying the people behind voting, but there has been some relatively, you know, sophisticated analysis on um, on which units, which in, on individual units behind us. In is this one person or is this a hundred, you know, eighty individuals voting all the same way? Basically, just yeah. tracking like that. So basically. What we're referring to here is it appears that more individual actors are supporting the uh, the MNO plan, and it appears that more total dash or more total master nodes are supporting the DCG plan at this juncture in time. And so that's kind of the interesting thing that um, it's it's kind of funny because, and this is something that I'll have to do like a very long. Um, a very you know, some more long discussions on in the future uh, for the podcast here. Uh, it would, but it is very interesting to see how the engagement differences between you know minnow minnow nodes and whale nodes, as well as the the kind of action, you know. So for example, you have people who have been part of the dash. Let's just say they've been part of the dash community forever. They scrape together some money and they get together a node and then they vote you know a certain way or they're just completely new entrants into the ecosystem that just say, you know, the, the sort of camaraderie of new, newish voters. And on the other hand, you might have people who I, again, you could, it's much harder to be a whale now 
because you have to have like whale money to get into Dash. It's much easier to be an early whale and just be like, ah, I had like 50 grand. I love Dash at like 24 cents. I'm going to dump it all in there and they still have mm-hmm. it, right? And yep. so it seems like the old timer types, well, one could say, again, a lot of assumptions here. I'm, I'm not making an assumption. I'm just saying it could be a lot of those just say, you know what? We've been through DCG thick and thin. There's a lot of things up. Mm-hmm. We're just going to trust them. Whereas and no, there's, that's no, yeah. there's no fault in that either. I mean, DCG has taken Dash from mm-hmm. some small player to up to up to number three at, at one point, and mm-hmm. we certainly got the best technology uh, in the whole space. There's, there's yeah. no question about that. Which is why I'm here to stay. That this is my project. There's mm-hmm. nowhere for me to go because this is the best project. Yeah, that's why it's so important to me to get back to your question that this project has the best fundamentals, not just technically, but economically. That's what our plan is trying to do is keep those economic fundamentals will make them even better. Um, but, but yeah, like I, I understand it's a hard position to be in right now because you're asked to vote against DCG in, in mm-hmm. this case. And I didn't want it to be that way. I, I wish it wasn't that way. And, you know, it, it would have been great if DCG would have, Put, put forth both of these proposals from the very beginning in their own name. Yeah. Well, and, and just to add to that, there's there's potential things we could do in the future with that. Um, Troy Dash, um, in mm. one of the discourse, he brought that up where he was like, you know, this could this just could be a technological solution to this, which is you know have a mechanism where you can have an alternative vote. Yeah. In the system, so. Um, that's, that's that's a potential thing that we can explore. Yeah, then that's honestly, and you'll probably have to wrap up here soon because we're getting to the hour and a half thing, but that's honestly something I was going to shill at the end anyway is um, just because Dash has a treasury doesn't mean everything has to go through it. And yes. I have been a big fan of the Bitcoin Cash's Kickstarter or Flipstarter idea, which is basically like a crowdfund, but only it you only... It only works once all the donations have been met, as in if you get like 80% of your goal, then it refunds everyone after a specific period of time. So there's less risk in doing this kind of thing. And I, I don't think it's as sophisticated. I think it's a more basic thing, but Monero's done almost all their funding through like a forum funding process in the past mm-hmm. where they just, you know, crowdfund stuff. And I would argue that both of those systems are able to do much less than the Dash Treasury. and. At the same time, they've probably been more efficient in, than the Dash Treasury in allocating yeah. those resources. And so I what I would love to see is that whatever, especially I would love to see it side by side to the official governance part in the same website, right? Where let's just say you have a third of the masternodes really like this one proposal, but because, but the rest of them just say, no, we're going to be, you know, we're going to be stingy. We're not going to do it those third could still put their money towards something like that. And it works. Now the difference between that, you know, feel, then they extremely feel the cost because it's not just all the master nodes have to pay the entire cost. It's only the one, the yes votes actually have to pay the cost in this case. Mm-hmm. And they can actually pay on a variable level too. They don't just get to like vote. And, and they do, they do fun stuff that way. So yes. it's not like, it's not like <laughs> this isn't a huge risk that, Oh, we're, we're only, 0.02% yeah. funding from our own pocket. That's not a huge risk. We see that BCH, they're spending their own money, like all yeah. of it. 
Yeah. So we're just trying to approach that model a little bit, trying to sneak up to it. And that's the bit. other thing. It, that's the thing is uh, under both of these things, the, under both plans, th having an extra model such as that would side by side would have an option that has a much more acute risk for the masters participating in it. But if the DCG plan is the one that prevails in the end, then it'd be even a even greater gulf between the incentive models of those two things. So that's why I think it to be for dash to be competitive, it'd be essential under that outcome to have this thing on the side where people can still f fund things that they acutely feel something towards. And let's not be, you know, maybe this sets up another discussion someday, but all this doesn't address masternodes benefiting from making wise investments directly, which is either the diff thing or if they fund something on their own and then they can actually get rewards based on their, their smart vote. Whereas it's a little harder. It's just the entire coin gets more value. But like if you're, a, it allows people to actually make unpopular yet smart votes and succeed having a separate system. But that's, again, we could chat about economics incentives all day long. And I would like to, half of the day long, right? Because no no one really talks about this kind of stuff enough. And I'm kind of surprised at how long it took us to sort of come to what are starting to become more, hopefully, universal truths on this. So yeah, so thanks for uh, participating, you guys. It's been, what is it now, like two and a half hours of podcast material on this subject and a few more minutes considering the other video. And I, at some point I'll do another video of my own just talking about the aftermath and the results and why things turned out the way they did and what we can understand about economic incentives because of that. And because, you know, if we're talking about money, especially global money systems, we should think economically. So if you've been listening, make sure to hit the like button before you go away. And I do want to unveil this last little um, oops, coin tree thing right here. Sorry for hiding your face, Ryan. I didn't set that up correctly, but whatever. Um, the message got cut off. No, thanks. I believe that was thanks for King. Let me actually just read this again real quick. We might have gotten another couple of messages. Um, but basically, we got one that said uh, that they trust Ryan's leadership, however, are very happy that are happy under either of these proposals. Yeah, I got one. Thanks for cleaning a key role in Dash Democracy. Um, this is the one I think I was looking for. I have always believed, I got anonymous. I've always believed in Ryan's leadership. I can see both sides, so it isn't as important to me who wins. Either way, I can't wait to see how it all shakes out. Well, I would definitely echo that sentiment. Yeah. And yep, um, I'll be here to stay regardless of what happens also, so I'm not going to be rage quitting anytime soon. <laughs> George. Oh. So, yeah, <laughs> I had to get that in there. But, uh, you know, if you were watching this, Mr. Yeah, I'll, anyway, enough of that. <laughs> so if you enjoyed this and want to talk about it more, but, you know, a podcast can only go so long, there's something called the after party. You got to go to the Dash Talk Discord first which is stay-y.com. Let me put that in the live chat. .com. And then just start asking around, hey, where's the after party? I want to have my own thoughts I wanted to give on this thing. And then it's uncensored rambling. By uncensored, I don't specifically mean it's going to be a bunch of naughty talk, but no, a bunch, you know, <laughs> uncensored rambling, not recorded, so don't worry if you say something a little silly. Then there you go. You get in, wee hours of the morning. It's going to be awesome. Any last words, guys?
Nope, just thanks, Joel. Yeah, thank you so much. You've just uh, stuck this out for, it feels like three, four months. I mean, we started talking a while ago, but mm -hmm. it feels like three months. And um, you've just taken initiative mm -hmm. uh, to do all this. So we really appreciate it. And just want to throw in the word for trust protectors. Yeah, Mark. Yeah, yeah, and, and really, they they the facilitation was was great. Um, it just we were able to iron out so many things. Yeah, uh, yeah. and especially yeah, then Mark Mark was just tiresome. I mean, tireless. Excuse me. <laughs> he, I, he can get tiresome as well sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, thanks, Mark, for the help. He was with tireless. This. I mean, he just he really um, yeah, big to more. So yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, everyone, and I'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe so you don't miss an episode and donate to support the show by going to my Cointree page. That's cointr.ee slash the desert links and leave a message with your donation. Check out the show's sponsors. Live on crypto with BitRefill. Buy absolutely anything with crypto with ShopinBit. Avoid content censorship with Odyssey. Protect your privacy online with NordVPN. Get paid to search with PreSearch. All links are in the show notes.